0: Yesterday, Karen and I took in the service at the Cenotaph, and we've done this over the years. Of course, we met in the military, so it has a a deep connection for our own story. But there's something really moving when you're gathered in those spaces of course the ceremony itself is moving and it draws us in and it helps us to be mindful of past times of conflict in our in our history and how men and women in those moments made monumental sacrifices but there's also beyond that something quite profound that happens when you're looking across the space at all of these people in their uniforms. You've got the RCMP in their red surge. You've got the the, the fire protection and the correction staff in their uniforms. You've got the legion and all of the people connected in their uniforms. And then of course you have the armed services, in this case an army unit, in their uniform. For me it brings back pretty significant memories of my own experience getting into my dress uniform. And my grandfather used to call it, you're in your best bib and tucker. You ever heard that term before? Yeah, if you're, if you're under the age of 70, you may not have heard it before. <laughs> what it means is that you're putting on your best clothes and you're going out on your best behavior. I remember being poured into one of those suits and something really remarkable happens when you put on a uniform you begin to embody something bigger than yourself you begin to actually go through subtle changes as you're formed and reformed in this case into a soldier we've been talking over the last couple of weeks about how the gospel transforms us. And Paul in Ephesians 4 uses this language of putting on and taking off. You see, Paul knows that when we come into a relationship with Jesus, there's a monumental transformation that is taking place. So like putting on the uniform, you begin to be formed and framed and shaped by this larger force around you, by a story that precedes you and begins to carry you into this new place. When we become a believer, we f- choose to follow Jesus we're embracing a story larger than ourselves. And a transformation begins to take shape. Paul words it this way With the Lord's authority, I say this Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness, they wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practiced every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Paul's not holding back here. He's bringing out the Big badge qualification and holding it up. This is not from me, this is from the Lord. Live no longer as the Gentiles do. You're part of a bigger story, you're part of something profound. No longer live in the ways and patterns and shapes that you've once embraced. You are no longer part of an old story. Because that old story has embraced a futility of thinking. It's a way of seeing and a behavior that engages and reflects back something that is profoundly broken. You're no longer that person. And the Greek word here that's used, that is translated as futility, it means emptiness, emptiness worthlessness, vanity. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word shows up again and again and again in my favorite book in the Bible, Ecclesiastes. Everything is meaningless. So what Paul is saying is that the Gentile way of being, this way of engaging the world and living outside this new story that you belong to, this person that you belong to, is to engage in a practice that is meaningless, and it brings out a callousness, a loss of feeling, an insensitivity. I think we see this in our world today, as people embrace these ever frenetic passions that hold no meaning. But draw people in such ways where they're gripping so hard to hold on to a life that simply does not give life and in doing so they're becoming increasingly insensitive what Paul is referring to here is of deep 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 profoundness as we indulge our desires it's not an excess of feeling that we receive, even though that is what we're going after, the pleasures of this world. Instead, we receive a lack of feeling and a lack of discernment as our senses become dulled to what God is doing and wants to do in us. Paul is saying the Gentiles have become so used to sin that they do not sense how their actions are wounding their own soul and how it's wounding their relationship with others around them. Paul goes on, he says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your own sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for we are all parts of the same body and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And Paul is bringing out a stark contrast here between the old life the selfish pursuits where we allow our emotions to rule us, and he's inviting this new way of living that comes through Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the one who teaches us this new way of living. Here's the fundamental nugget, that the seed that Paul is planting here. Christianity is all about a person, and it's not us. It's all about Jesus. Everything is focused on Jesus. Jesus teaches us how to live. Jesus shows us how to live, and he brings us into a a living relationship with the Father and with others and restores even the broken relationship that exists within ourselves. You see, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, the truth of this person who has come, lived, died on behalf of humanity, brought the ability to bridge the gulf between us and God, wants us to be fully and wholly restored. He wants us to become our best selves. But it's not about us. You see, spinning us back, and Paul is shining the entire spotlight onto Jesus Christ. And in that, there comes about a transformed life. How is this possible? Paul says by putting off our old self, our old behaviors, and putting on this new self, a new way of being, a new way of living, a new way of even seeing reality itself. This is really deep stuff. It's the stuff of the core. It's not simply a way of life or a belief structure. It's not external. It actually is touching our deepest self, our core identity. Everything from within is transformed and is being brought right down to this place where even our own attitudes are being reshaped and remolded by this person, Jesus Christ. Oh, it's easy, right? Of course not. One of the things we talk about in Cap, no, not another shameless plug of Cap. We talk about Jesus' death We talk a lot about dying to self Jesus died so I don't have to keep trying some grammar is in order here see the Greek verb that Paul is using is in the passive voice I'll let the English majors in the room explain what that means but it's not about this being our own efforts In the passive voice this renewal comes about through God we cooperate we can actually stand against it but God is the one that's doing the heavy lifting here it's also the present infinitive there's no test at the end but what this means is that Paul is telling us it's not an instant change it's an ongoing process filled with a bunch of grace, which means that today God has moved me a little bit farther along than I was yesterday, and tomorrow I'll be a little bit farther along again. But it's God that's doing the moving, providing I don't get in the way. And this change goes deep. I remember the young man who was poured into that uniform. And I think back to that person and where I am today. And I have miles to go. But at one point in time, my friends would have said, most likely to go to jail. Certainly, the least likely to be married for 30 years. See, this change begins to structure us in completely different ways. If you're a thief, quit stealing. And I did. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. And I tell you when I was a soldier, I swore like a sailor. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Paul is dragging out some practical examples here that meet us just in the ordinariness of life. It's not cerebral. It's where our hands touch the world. And this is what living this story In real time looks like but what I find fascinating here is that Paul's not actually giving us a laundry list of do's and don'ts Paul is not embracing a legalism here he's got his feet firmly planted in grace he is calling us to embrace the freedom that Christ brings for us a life truly transformed from our previous experiences but not a life tied into a new prison a new set of do's and don'ts he's calling us to live a life that is for the glory of God and the benefit of others and slowly 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 in the grace of the transformation of the gospel in this person Jesus Christ we begin to understand what that looks like in our own lives it's an emotional change It's a physical change. And it changes us in every single part of our lives. It's how we live the story. Now Paul here is talking about putting on and taking off. He wants disciples of Jesus to live as new humans. There's so much warping influence in the world around us. He's inviting us in to seeing the world in a different way. Right now I'm in preparation for doing a couple of classes with the Curios group in Jasper. And we're exploring together a, a theology of faith and work. And I've talked over the years with them and this new new team coming in We're looking at the way culture has formed us as individuals and how our work has actually been in many ways formational and shaping us in a certain way. And part of the gospel transformation, and Paul is talking about this when he's talking about don't steal and engage the world in in this positive way, he's actually talking about work in so many ways. And there's some interesting studies in the, in the world of missiology. And they're looking at the way that we're transformed as individuals in Western culture. And so much of our culture seeks meaning from the things around us, the things we do, the, the things we collect, what Paul calls lustful passions. Now, Paul's not saying that it's bad to do fun things. Paul's not saying that we ought to live an ascetic life and give up all possessions. That's not what he's talking about here. But what he's talking about is when our search for meaning and our search for joy and happiness exists outside of this person, Jesus Christ, then we are going to find increased meaninglessness and insensitivity. That's the story and it's the story that forms us. And so the question is, which story are we engaged with? Which narrative are we following? See, we all continue to be formed in some way by culture around us. I'm, my daughter's been visiting, and we've been talking a little bit about Taylor Swift. I don't know if she's a Swifty and she's going to kill me for bringing her up in the sermon. But I know more about Taylor Swift and Taylor's versions of the albums. A lot of you are looking at me like, what are you talking about? Google it, old people. Taylor Swift. It's culture that forms us even in subtle ways. As followers of Jesus, we're to be in the world but not of the world. So it isn't about shoving Taylor Swift away but it's about making sure that that's not where our hope lies or in the Doobie Brothers. Is that helpful? I got, I got, I got, oh, okay, now I know we're Wow. Tough crowd this morning. We put off And we put on. But you see, sometimes I think we struggle to do both. And I see this again and again and again that as Christians, we are either in the put-off mode where we are really trying to get rid of things and we're, we're really pointing out all the things that are wrong. And in fact, Christians could be known for what we're against more than what we're for and we embrace a deep legalism. And we actually, it's good to put off, but we fail to put on. And there's also a tendency for disciples of Jesus to neglect the put off element of Christ. So we want to be so inviting to draw people in, and we're so unwilling to, feel ju- to appear judgmental that we minimize or ignore sin. You see, Jesus has called us to repent. And so the call here is to put off and to put on. I love how one commentator that I read this week put it We don't need naked Christians, ones who have put off their old self but are putting nothing on in its place. Nor do we need more doubly dressed Christians who have put on the new without stripping off the old. Rather, we need to recover the full picture. Of the Christian life put on and put off and so the question this morning for me as I've been going through this week and preparing for this sermon which one am I and I actually see patterns in my life where I actually experience both not together necessarily which is what we want but moments where in some areas of my life it's put off put off put off put off and it's all about this I need to be better and in other areas of life I want to be so gracious that I become more accommodating and I, I, I haven't really embraced maybe there's some boundaries that need to be put around this. Do you relate to this? Not at all. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> right? 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 I I call it my spinning plates, right? Like I got this plate spinning and then this plate starts to wobble and so I come over here and I get this plate spinning and then this one and I'm always feeling like I'm moving from this part of my life to that part of my life and somewhere along the line I've forgotten that it's actually, remember, a passive verb and it's an ongoing process. It's God who's doing the work and he's doing it in me little by little So much of this is connected to our speech Paul talks about this right in the middle of this put on and put off he's inserting this comment about the way we talk to one another why well James talks about the power of our tongues right it's like a rudder it can move an entire ship so it's not just like when I was in uniform I was swearing like a fish that's actually only part of the problem I was a jerk. Somewhere along the line in the formation of my being in uniform, I thought I could act terribly towards people. Karen and I were chuckling. You could spot the ex-military people, and I mean no disrespect here, but they have a certain swagger about them. I had a certain swagger about me. Yeah, my, my niece just laughed out loud. Was it not a swagger? Was it, what was it? Was it, I thought it was a swagger? Or are you saying yes it is? Are you affirming what I'm saying or are you just thinking, he's trying to be more cool than he really was? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Danielle's in the house, folks. <laughs> Rebecca, you're next. <laughs> you see, Paul is telling us that our speech should be limited to only such things as are good for building up. And I think one of the things that's happening in the church right now is that our responses are not being shaped by the consideration of the other person. And Paul's calling us here to be other centered in our communication, the core of which is love. As fits the occasion, Paul writes. And yet we are eating our young. Those who are only putting off and not putting on are speaking increasingly in terms that are toxic. Sorry to borrow that phrase, but it's just the best one I can come up with. And those who are putting on and not taking off are becoming increasingly more permissive so that anything goes. And the church is all over the map. What do we stand for? What do we believe? And it's not about being right. It is important to know what we believe It is absolutely critical to stand up for what we believe. And we may not agree on that, and that's okay. But can we disagree in peace and love? You see, I said this a few weeks ago, that we become unrighteous in our rightness. And so our speech is going out that it's not giving grace to those who hear. And that's what Paul is calling us to do. So, to live this story, this really deep stuff, is to put on and put off in a way that our change is seen practically in others, by others. And it comes through our speech. We can be influenced by what we put on. And a changed heart leads to changed living. But sometimes it actually goes in the opposite direction. Sometimes what we put on, what we choose to do, and we don't feel like doing. You see, here's the thing. It's easy for me to stand up here and say, you know, this and that. And like Paul, I'm not asking for a list of do's and don'ts here. I'm not preaching a legalism. We have to be a community that's open to the differences of belief. It doesn't mean that I don't hold to my own convictions. But you see, the change in you is also God's work, not mine. And that process is slow, which means, and ongoing, which means if you're not where I am and I'm not where you are, we'll get there. But can we hold that tension and we may not feel like it. You see, there's lots of things in my life that I, 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 I'm not ready to give this up, God. Man, I've worked for years with people who struggle with addiction. And the part of the reason why they don't want to give it up is because there's so much pain involved. There's so many things holding us back because to give it up means I am suddenly alone with the voices in my head. Can anyone relate to that? Or is it just me? We want to push it away. But here's the amazing thing about the way God made us. See, Paul is saying, put on, take off. Some of the times we put things on is about embracing a new way of being, even though we're not quite used to it. We end up practicing what we preach because our minds begin to embrace the language and the words that we're using. When I was in Manila, I had the absolute privilege of going through a program on transformational development. And we would see this with communities that experience disasters. And oftentimes, their language is hopelessness. And the more they talked of hopelessness, the more hopeless their circumstances became. But when we would work with them, when we would share with them the gospel, there'd be something that we called enclosed cognition. Another way of talking about it is, 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 is um, CAB, it's Cognitive Affective Behavioral Studies. It's a fancy word that the world has used for what Paul is talking about here. Put on the new thing. And when we could get communities speaking, telling their pain, but embracing the truth of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we would see massive transformations. And there's two separate communities that went through a typhoon together. One, the government gave the grants to uh, a non-Christian NGO. And one gave to the NGO that we were partnered with at the time. And for the first six months, the first NGO with with the non-Christian NGO went in and started building houses and started getting the community turned around and started getting their physical lives in order. The Christian NGO went in and got them stable but spent six months doing something called psycho-spiritual work with them. So helping them to understand what happened, embrace what has gone on, work through their pain, grieve, talk about what they needed, and embrace this relationship with Jesus. And six months in, the government was like, where are you going? You haven't done anything. You haven't put up one house. You haven't fixed one thing. And this other community is well on their way. And of course, some really brilliant people, not me, made the case to the Philippine government, no, let us keep going. One year later, so 18 months into the process, the community that had all of their houses put up right away, they were back into their old lifestyle and the community was tearing itself apart because they hadn't dealt with the issues. They hadn't taken off and they hadn't put on community wor- that was working with the Christian NGO it was so transformatively different even the residents of that community were saying this is so much better than it was before the typhoon because they were walking as new humans they had taken off and they would put on maybe they began began to see that their transformation the gospel transformation needed to be more than just I have a new house or I have a job It had to be a fundamental change in the way I'm doing life. And it was a profound moment for us to see that when we stick to the way God wants it done, profound change happens not only in ourselves, but in all of the people around us that we touch. I've seen this transformation in my own life where I've gone from a swearing sailor in an army uniform to a pastor preaching God's grace, of which I don't deserve to be here. It's one of the ways we cooperate with God in the renewal of our inner lives. We don't change our outer lives on our own, but we, in how we act, in what we embrace, in how we speak, in how we treat one another, begin that process to walk with God in the work that he's doing. This is not legalism. It's filled with grace. You're not where you're going to be and you're not where you were. The process is ongoing. But God wants to do this work in each of us. He wants to continue this work in each of us. And I think he wants to go deeper because you know something? Two-thirds of the church walked away during COVID-19. Every single church that I've talked to has lost a third of their people or more. Because I think we had cultural Christians who weren't embracing what it meant to be people of God. Now you're still here. So I might be preaching to the remnant. That's okay. But there's some homework we need to do. I think God's inviting us into walking this journey into peace, grace, love, and transformation. Take stock of what influences you. Is it making you more grace filled or less? Where are you receiving your influences? Is it leading you towards Jesus or away? And with grace, ask Jesus what you need to put on and what you need to take off. Where do you need Christ's help? We sang today of the Spirit coming in. Invite that. Where? Does God need to do that work in you? And commit to to getting out of God's way. Listen to your own speech, the way you communicate with others, how you write on social media, thoughts that don't get spoken, they count. Sorry. Is it building up or is it tearing down? I'm guilty of this. A lot of us are take note it's not about being right that's not the point here like I just said we don't want to become unrighteous in our rightness we also don't want to just be whatever live and let live it's living inside the tension of holding firm to what we believe but doing so open-handed with the humility of knowing maybe we need to change. Commit to being a grace filled person in the way you live, in the way you speak, extending love even in times where it's difficult. Finally, consider your actions. What occupies your time? Are your commitments increasing your sensitivity or diverting your attention away from Jesus? And in all of this, I commend you to be ruthless with yourselves. Complacency is the enemy of faith. And I think the church prior to COVID-19 was remarkably complacent. But do remember, this is an act of grace. It's an ongoing process. The heavy weight is carried by Jesus. We just need To let him get to work and it's in this that we'll end up in our best Bibb and Tucker let's pray Lord this is a heavy sermon Lord I felt in my own life the ways that you were still wooing me into a deeper walk with you ways that the things of this world were occupying my attention. Worth, things of worth, things of value, not not things that we ought not to pay attention to, but Lord, how they had slipped from just being good things to being the things. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, every person listening on the stream. I include myself in this, Lord. I pray that we would do the good work of getting out of the way of ourselves. Inviting you in, putting on and taking off. Lord, if we're the type of person that's putting off more than on, give us the insight, the courage, the wisdom to know what it is we're to embrace. If we're the type of person that's putting on, Lord, I pray that you would help us to know what we need to jettison from our lives lord let us be a people of truth but let that truth lord be measured with humility and grace and lord may the way we interact with the world be so different that people can't help but ask why so that we get a chance to share about the person the center the focus and that's you jesus Lord, in all this, wherever we are in all of this, I pray that we would feel a deep sense of your grace, that none of this is meant to condemn us. There's no more condemnation in your name. But Lord, an invitation to live a life of freedom and grace, a life transformed by your gospel. In your name, Jesus, we pray.